Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I wanted to just let you know, you may not have realized this, but um, we've dodged some bullets here lately. Um, There have been at least four predictions in the last few weeks that the world was about to end including uh, an asteroid strike sometime around September 23rd, the fourth blood moon in two years on September 27th, a Mormon woman who claims to have had visions that the end of the world would begin in September, and October 7th by fire, uh, fine-tuning some predictions made a few years ago by a man named Harold Camping. And as far as I can tell, looking out there, it looks to me like y'all are all okay. We made it again. Uh, But let me assure you, the Bible tells us no one knows the date. Jesus himself said no one knows the date. So don't get caught up or start worrying when you start hearing someone pronouncing some kind of specific prediction. And yet the apostle Peter wrote his first letter because he wanted his readers to understand that they should be living with a sense of expectancy. And so we want to dive in and see what he tells us in this series on 1 Peter that we're calling Walk the Talk. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, uh, or open your Version Bible app on your mobile device, go to the live page, or pull out the notes that are in your bulletin, and there are scriptures there that you can follow along and uh, blanks that you can fill in places for notes. Um, last week, we, we, we were in... Ch- chapters 3 and 4 of 1 Peter, we skipped verses 7 to 11 so we could just kind of stay focused at that point on all that Peter wanted to tell us about suffering for the cause of Christ. He told his readers then, and, and it applies equally to us today, that followers of Christ are going to experience suffering if they are genuinely following him. It is the reality of being a follower of Jesus Christ because his values are different from our culture and the world around us. Yet faithfulness is the point, not not suffering. That's the point Peter wants to be talking about all through his his writing. And it's the point in walking the talk. And and in our passage this morning, he points us to the right way that a, a follower of Jesus is to live, opening with what probably sounds like a pretty strange line to us today. Verse 7, he says, he begins... The end of all things is near. And that may sound like some of the folks I just mentioned who've been predicting doom. But Peter was speaking from a different reference point, and he was speaking from some experiences of his own. Peter heard Jesus. He was with him for three years. He listened to him talk about his return on a number of occasions in which he made it clear that his followers needed to be watchful for his return, or they could be left out in the cold. Jesus himself said, you, must, you also must be ready all the time, all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And after his, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, the early church expected that he could return at any time. But as weeks turned into months, into years, and even to decades, they realized that though they, they still needed to be ready, that's what Scripture told them, that's what Jesus told them to do, they also had to keep the church going. And so you start seeing in, in later New Testament writings 
that there are descriptions of various church leadership positions and how to lead that weren't really spelled out early in, in the earliest writings. So we'll look at some of those next week, in fact, in Peter's chapter 5 as we wrap up this series. But it wasn't found in the earliest letters after the resurrection of Jesus. And so some started to, to ask questions about why was he returning? Why was Jesus not coming back sooner? And Peter actually answered that question in his second letter, which we aren't looking at in this series. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. He's telling us there is a reason that there's been a delay. And it is because, in many cases, so you and I could respond to the gospel and, and have eternity. Those of us in this room who are followers of Christ, that delay has meant that we, we get to experience that. And, and he would say, beyond that, there are people you know, family members, friends, co-workers, acquaintances, and they are in the same boat. They don't know him yet. And while Jesus could return in the next 30 seconds, if he gives us another day, there is an opportunity to share our story and, and be witnesses of the love of Christ to them. And perhaps some of them will come to faith. The delay in the return of Jesus was evangelistic because it was based on the love of God. He cared so much for us, for them, for all people, that he has been delaying so as many as possible can experience salvation. And that does put an urgency in our own lives to share the good news with those we know because we don't know whether or not Jesus returns in the next 30 seconds or we, we drive out of here and there's an accident. We don't know how long we have or those that we know and those we care about have. By the time Peter wrote these two letters, uh, it had been something like 30 or more years after the resurrection of Jesus. The church was beginning to come to grips with this, this reality that they didn't know exactly when Jesus would come back. But they took seriously what Jesus himself told them, told us to do, to be prepared. Because, if you think about it, there really is a difference in how you and I live when we believe our time's limited. I mean, we make every moment, we make every opportunity count. I, sometimes I'm watching football, you know, and, and you, you come down to the two-minute warning, and all of a sudden, the teams start gearing up, and all of a sudden, there's an intensity to their play, and there is a, a drive in what they're doing, and you kind of you get to the end of the game and say, why couldn't they have played like that more of the time? And, and, and that's exactly what's going on here. That when there is an urgency, when there is an intensity, you and I look at things differently. Our, our priorities rise to the surface more. We're, we're less concerned about what others think or say because the time is limited and we have certain things we need to get done. We make every moment, we make every opportunity count. We're better stewards of our time and our resources. We look at every individual and we look at every opportunity to say, is this an opportunity for, for me to share the love of Christ 
Is this the most important thing I could be doing, or is it, in fact, just kind of so-so? And I'm going to put this aside because there really are more important things if Jesus is returning, if this really matters, if this is so important that I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay engaged in this. I'm going to keep going. We can't throw away any chances. So as Peter's readers then, but, but, but clearly for us today, wrestling with a culture that is increasingly intolerant toward Christianity, he's reminding them, he's reminding us to keep the main thing, the main thing, no matter what we're going through. The end is coming. It may come in Jesus' return. It may come because we die before that return. And we don't want to wait. We don't want to hope we made a good decision down the road. We want to make those decisions now. We want to reach those people where it matters now. Peter says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And, and, and being clear-minded, being self-controlled was exactly the opposite of the mindset of, the, of his culture, which was focused on irrationality, on, on following every feeling, which isn't really at all different from today. This idea that of, if it feels good, do it. Go for it, no matter what. It, it, you know, we look at, you get to the end of a show on television or at the movies, and, and they're confronted with making some maybe even immoral choices, but, but it, because it seems so loving, they ought to go ahead and do it. And our heart reaches out to them. Our hearts, our feelings can be deceived by what is actually right, by what is always right in God's eyes. And so Peter wants his readers to let God's spirit rule over their hearts, over their minds, not let the passions of the flesh dictate our choices. And that requires thinking and self-control so that we can focus on praying. We can think, God, what do you want me to do? What is right here, God? Not what do I want or what feels right in the moment, but what do you want, God? I'm, I can get drawn into almost anything if I, don't, if I let my feelings go with it. We have to think about those things and open ourselves to God before we get in those situations. The Apostle Paul told us, we're in a spiritual battle. And where does he love to get us more than than feelings and, and, and places where we're easily, many of us are easily swayed. We need the armor of God. Ladies, you are studying that in the Wednesday Bible study. The armor of God. Why? Because we need it to stand up to the attacks of the enemy. We need the power of prayer in our lives. We need God's word. We need the community of faith around us to face our trials. And yet the greatest weapon and instrument God has given us to live in these last days, especially with one another, Peter says is love. He says in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He, Peter wanted his readers to understand that, that love, above all else, ought to be the characteristic of a Christian community. I remember reading, I thought, at one point I thought it was in the Bible, but it was actually in the first or second century after the time of the Bible was written, that one of the comments that people who were not Christians said about Christians is, see how they love one another. That that, that picture was so ingrained, so visible to non-believers, to non-Christians, that they could see it. It was a part of what the people of God did. 
In the midst of trials and, and, and suffering, of feeling increasingly on the outside, love has to be the defining mark of a, the follower of Jesus Christ, particularly for each other. Because people look at how we treat one another. And the word Peter uses here for love is agape, A-G-A-P-E. It, it's one of, one of four Greek words that when translated in English, all four words we translate as love. And yet, they're, they're different. They're, they're interrelated, but they are different. There is a physical love. There is a friendship love. There is a brotherly love. And then there is agape, unconditional love, which reflects the love of God that God has for you and me. Agape love, quite simply, is choosing to accept someone for who they are and sacrificially working for their good choosing what does that mean it means it's not a feeling I, I i can love even when i don't feel like it and that's and that's incredibly important for us to understand because the world is all about feeling love and we're called sometimes to love when we don't feel like it when it doesn't feel good and we are called to do it for the good of others even sacrificing why? Because God himself sacrificed through his son Jesus Christ. There's the picture we have of that kind of love. If there's no sacrifice, if you're not have to giving some, if you're not have to, having to give something up, if it's not costing you something, if it's not putting you out, if it's not inconvenient for you, is it agape love? Or is it just being nice? It's vitally important. There are times when we will not feel like loving each other, much less folks who are making our lives hard. And so we have to choose to love, to love those beyond our community of faith and those within, because the power of Christ through his spirit lives in us. And this is the Christ follower's greatest tool, his greatest weapon against persecution and, and intolerance. In part, because it's not what anybody expects. Everybody expects that when somebody makes your life hard, when they put you down, when they say things about your beliefs, when they, they kind of make a snide little comment off to the side, they expect you not to like it. They're trying to get a little dig in. And if we go along with it, that's not right. Or we start grousing or we start being harsh back to them. We're playing their game. We're doing exactly what they want us to do and the opposite of what God wants us to do. See why it can't be a feeling thing? Because you and I aren't going to feel. When somebody says something about us and our faith, you and I aren't going to feel, oh, I love them so much. I have these warm, these warm fuzzies. No, you'll get mad. And it's okay to get mad as long as you don't sin in your anger. Allow that to re remind ourselves that instead I have to make a choice to love, to accept someone for who they are and sacrificially work for their good. And let me tell you, when you do that, people notice. They may still respond poorly, 
but at some point, it's going to get to people because they don't have an explanation for it. It doesn't fit their worldview. There's nothing, no gain in it for you. And there's no way that they can put the pieces together until they start to explore Christianity themselves. Some of you, some of you are here today because someone loved you and you weren't being very lovable. And there could be many more that we could love if each of us took it seriously. But more than the witness is the fact that it, it's what, how God treated us. We sinned. We first sinned. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and the sins of the world. Jesus is the ultimate example who loved even though he was persecuted. Even as he is hanging on the cross, they have whipped him, they have beat him, they are spitting at him, they are... They are yelling obscenities and all kinds of stuff at him as he's hanging there on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And I doubt any of us would feel like forgiving. I wouldn't. But the love of God in us can enable us to do things. We can't otherwise do. That's the only way we can explain Jesus. As a result, Peter says, quoting from, from Proverbs 10, 12, this agape love, this love of God can cover over the results of, of so many sins in our world today. It can change things. Love can miraculously change things in your, in your relationships, in your work environment, in your school setting, in your neighborhood, in your family we'd only live it consistently by his strength by his grace and it doesn't mean everyone will every time respond positively to love but it makes a huge difference a big difference over time i read this week interesting very interesting story to me coming out of yunnan province in china out of the 1990s there was um now remember china is communist and and essentially as a as a as a national policy there is no no acceptance and belief of god however in one particular province one part of a province the Hunan of the Hunan province crime drug addiction and sickness were just rampant no matter how hard they tried they were not able to bring it under control and yet they noticed that that in other parts of the province individuals who were coming from similar family or tribal backgrounds were living very differently uh, prosperous, peace-loving, no drug problems. So the, the government, the government commissioned a study to figure out what was making the difference. And to their astonishment and embarrassment, they discovered that the villages where things were going much better were made up of a majority of Christians. So, in 1998, the province government launched a, really a daring experiment. They bused Christians in to that worst village, which had 240 people. 107 of them were addicted to opium. 107 of the 240 residents were addicted to opium. A year later, there were 17 converts, and there was starting to be some changes in the lifestyle of the, the community. Three, total of three years later, in 2001, 83 of the villagers were now Christians, 
prosperity had begun to, ex- to, to expand. Order was returning. People were, were being nicer to each other. It was making such a difference that the province began that same strategy in other villages. Now, you know that had to stick in their craw. A godless regime determined that the reason one community lived better than another was because of followers of Jesus Christ. You know, we want to change the world. We, we, we complain about crime. We complain about things that are wrong in our world. And we look to our elected officials to somehow fix it all. I want to tell you something. I, I, I'm all for electing, and I'm all for good government. But good, even good government is not going to change people's hearts. Good government is not going to make the world a better place. It may give freedom to operate that way. But the truth of the matter is, if we want to see the world change, the answer is not government. The answer is Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. Love... Notice, notice how different this may be from what you experience. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love, agape love. The love of God, the love Christ shared with us is the secret to change, to change our world, to change our lives because it changes us at our core level. And so Peter says, above all, love. And then he gets to more specifics. How does that play itself out in our lives? How does, how does agape love live? He says in verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was one of the amazing marks of the early church. It was an expression of God's love to help the church spread as Christians opened their homes to missionary preachers and evangelists. And it would be a couple of hundred years before Christians would gather together and build a facility for worship. Up to that time, they met either outdoors or in people's homes. They met where people would open their doors to them. It was hospitality. And it has been an intentional decision of churches, including this church, since its founding, to offer radical hospitality to everyone who approaches the doors of this place through our team gateway. We've got volunteers from the parking lot to to the entrance doors, into the hallways, into the coffee shop, and, and ushers at the doors as you enter into this place who are there to ultimately, they may have tasks, But what they're there to do is to offer the love of Jesus Christ to every person that comes our our way, to help each of us feel welcomed and wanted. And that's why many of our groups, life groups and journey groups, meet in homes as a place of hospitality, of offering that love. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. He said that in the context that when we do this for the others, we are doing it to him. 
Hospitality is an intentional desire to, to fulfill Jesus' instructions. And, and verses like this one from Peter and others scattered throughout Scripture show us and tell us that God desires us to treat each other, to treat others like that. And he says, do it without grumbling. Don't do it because you're told to. It's your job to. It's your instructions to. Do it because in your heart, you want to share the love of Christ with them. Yes, things may not be going great in your life. Yes, you may have come from some struggles on the way here. Yes, it doesn't mean everything's perfect. But he says, do it without grumbling. This is not a road exercise, but a genuine desire, decision to above all love. All guests, all members alike, and let each one know we're glad you're here today in God's house. Peter takes it though a step further. Verse 10, he says, Every, each one, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. He, he expands this idea of hospitality as, as an expression of love to now say that there are all kinds of ways of serving, in fact, that are expressions of the love of Christ to others. Jesus told us to love one another, and this, is a, this agape love is an action that is often lived out or expressed by serving others. If you're having loving feelings or loving thoughts, I, I, I want to do that, but you don't, it, does not, it does not translate into how you live your life and what you do and what you say. It's not happening. It's not happening. Jesus said we will know we will know them by their fruit, by what shows, by what comes out, by how we live our lives. And this expression of love through serving then becomes, according to Peter, a way that each one of us, each one of us, is used by God to impart his grace to others. When you're being hospitable, when you're serving, it's not simply doing the tasks as valuable as that may be. But in fact, in the midst of it, it is God's grace working through you and me to transmit that grace into the lives of others. You may not think of it that way. It may not even register. You may be someone who is ushered for, for months. And you say, I'm trying to figure out what difference it makes. Let me tell you what difference it makes. If you are not there, see, that's the problem. We, 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 we forget what might be different if, if it weren't, it's, it's like, you know, over the last six months, I'm pretty sure I've eaten several times. Now, I don't remember every meal I ate. I don't remember good or bad, I, you know, maybe two or three of them stand out to me. But most of them I don't remember, but I guarantee you if I hadn't eaten them, I would be in a lot worse shape. Uh, if I could have left a few of them out, I might have been in better shape. But, but you see, when you and I serve, one of the things we, we presume is, well, I don't see anything happening, but what would happen if you weren't serving? What would be happening in your spirit? What would be happening into the man or woman or the child that you're serving who didn't experience that grace through you? We want to make it all about me. We want to say, what do I get? instead of recognizing what God is doing through us for the sake of others. Serving isn't simply a way to get tasks done. It's an intentional method of God's to help us be his agents or distributors of grace to those we serve. 
We serve so that God's grace can be shared with everyone we encounter. That's huge. The apostle Paul was clear that each one of us has been gifted by God to serve. He wrote to the Corinthians, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Serving, in fact, scripturally, serving is mandated for each and every follower of Jesus Christ, both out in the world, but also in his or her community of faith as an expression of love and hospitality in order to literally help each other. And notice that both Peter and Paul are very specific as they say, one of them says each one, one of them says each of us. It's not like it's the group. It's not I can look and, oh, there's a bunch of people over there serving. No, it's about each one of us. Each one. If you're looking at somebody else and thinking they ought to be the one, not me, you're missing the scriptural point here. Peter writes in verse 11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. In other words, God provides you with strength you need to serve or to speak. He works through you, sometimes beyond you, in ways you don't even understand. Your presence may, in fact, speak volumes to somebody else that never enters your mind. But he is using you in that setting. It is spirit-powered, and yet we quench the Spirit's transforming work in our lives and through our lives when we fail to serve, because serving is part of God's spiritual growth process in each one of us. You want to grow spiritually? You want to become more and more like Jesus? Remember, our mission statement is to lead everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. You cannot become the follower of Christ that he wants you to be if you're not serving, if you're not living that out day in, day out, because serving is, is critical. It is part of God's spiritual growth process. We miss opportunities to learn. We, we fail to grow when we don't serve. We, we put on, on our website, we have on our website, uh, under the Find It page, of uh, spiritual gift inventories. If you want to discern more about perhaps where God has, has gifted you or, or created you, to serve, to help you discern. They're not, they're not the end-all, the be-all, uh, but they are tools that you can use to point you in directions. That maybe you're someone who needs to serve behind the scenes. You don't like to be out in front of people. Or maybe you're someone who has the gift of hospitality. Or maybe you're someone who has the gift of giving. Or you have the gift of prophecy, or whatever it may be. Where is God leading you to serve? How has he created you? Serving one hour along with worshiping in one hour. If you think about it, that's not much of a sacrifice when you consider the grace offered to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Do you want to say to Jesus one day, well, Jesus, I didn't really want to give an extra hour as he's hanging there with, with holes in his hands and his feet. You say, really? It, it, it wasn't worth what I did for you? I mean, we, we, we think it's no big deal. I want to tell you, a lot of the good that God wants to do in the world today is because followers of Jesus Christ are putting it off on somebody else. You think somebody else is going to serve. Somebody else is going to do it. In fact, to not serve cheapens the grace God offers you and me through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, hey, look at me. I'm the son of God. You come take care of me. He said, even I came not to be served, but to serve. And so if you follow me, my way is the way of the cross. My way is the way of sacrifice. My way is the way of giving up to move up for the sake of the kingdom. Every Sunday, I mean, every week we have hundreds of you serve. But let me tell you, every Sunday we need more of you serving. More. We, we need it because there are opportunities to minister. We need it because many of you need that experience to grow past where you are right now spiritually. We need it because there are lives that could be touched if you were there. We need it because out in the world, there are going to be people that, that will, may never walk through the doors of a church, but you can be Jesus Christ and, and share the grace of God with them. And they will see us in heaven. Many of you need to be obedient. To intentionally choose to live with Jesus as your Lord, your Master, your Savior. And volunteer to start serving or Start serving again. Talk with somebody out at our ministry booth today or with staff in an area you're interested in or take the spiritual gift inventories and, and get the ball rolling. You can go again to our website, gateway-community.org, on the Find It page right at the top and under Next Steps, there's a place to sign up to serve. And, and listen, please, if you, if, if you take that step, I know it's a big step for some of you. Some of you haven't done it. Period. And I, and I hope some of you, I, I pray some of you will. But when we do, sometimes people do that and then we try to contact them and they never even respond. Don't back out once you get started. Don't think, well, they, sure, they got it covered or they don't need me anymore. No, because serving is not all about what even the church needs. It's about your spiritual journey and how we make a difference out in the world today through Jesus Christ. It's so much more than what's in it for me or what's convenient or what works for me or how this plays itself out. Peter also tells us that serving as an expression of loving others is the way we praise God. And he, he wraps up this section of scripture affirming it. Going back to the start of verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. And then he goes on, he says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, everything we do should be an instrument of praise for God. Not just one hour on Sunday morning, but when you're leaving here, as you're driving in your car, as you're sitting at home with your family, as you're at the workplace tomorrow, as you're in your classroom tomorrow, that you can do all of it as an instrument of praise. And, and yes, that includes serving in the church, but it also includes what we do in all those other settings, the way we love our neighbors and concretely express God's love and God's grace towards others as that choice, that decision to accept others for who they are and sacrificially working for their good. To above all love, as Peter says, means that even though some are not going to get it that you follow Jesus, or, or they're going to make some fun of it, or they're going to talk about you behind your back, or they're going to leave you out of some things, we still love as an action, as a concrete step to express the love of God to others around us, as a, as a witness to the love of God that has, has been revealed to us, not just in the fact God chose to create each one of us, 
but in fact that in creating us and us falling and, and being sinners, sending his son to die for us. And Peter is telling us that we do this in a context of a world that is increasingly intolerant and even hostile to Christianity. He's telling us to, above all, love, knowing, in fact, we may end up suffering for that, suffering for offering love to some who don't get it, or they, they, they don't want to get it, or they choose to be hostile, or they just want to be mean. He is continuing to tell us that the way of Christ, of following him each day, entails sacrifice, will experience suffering, but it is the way, in fact, Jesus, our master, our savior, our Lord, lived. And the promise of eternal rewards and vindication for that faithfulness are worth every slight that we might receive. And there will be some people, if you live in faith, there will be some people that when you get to heaven, some of them are going to say, thank you. You didn't even know that you offered God's grace to me. But in being genuine and kind, in reaching out to me, inviting me, or whatever the case may be, it opened a door for me to come to know Jesus Christ. We don't stoop to the behavior of those around us, but we rely on the grace of God to offer his love, even if it's not returned, even if it's diminished. And the amazing thing Peter says is that when we live out those qualities, we are bringing glory to God. And Peter then concludes this moment of praise. He says, amen, which many of you may know the meaning of it, but it means literally it is true or so be it or let it be so. May we too teach each other with love and grace and, and may the love of God so fill each of us that serving ultimately becomes second nature to us because we want to love those around us as Jesus has loved us. Uh, in, in 2011, the Wall Street Journal quoted Apple founder and CEO Steve Jobs who died later that year of pancreatic cancer. As far as we know, he was not a follower of Jesus Christ, but listen to what he wrote. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. He writes, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. Steve Jobs understood that every moment counts. And every experience we have, every step on the journey, there are opportunities you and I have to be instruments of God's grace. Peter started out the passage this morning reminding us that the end is near. Maybe, maybe for real that Jesus is returning, but maybe just the way that Jobs is talking about it, that there are opportunities and big choices for the sake of the gospel all around you and me every day, today, as you walk out of here. This is what Christians do when they walk the talk, and in doing so, our world's blessed. And, and, and so I, I challenge you, above all, love. Today, above all, love. 
tomorrow, each day. Live with a sense of urgency. For the end for us, and maybe even especially for those who aren't with us right now, is sooner than we think. Gracious God, thank you for the incredible love that even when we dismissed you, when we didn't care, when we sinned against you, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate act of love, the ultimate picture of hospitality, of opening up, welcoming us in, of serving. And you invite us, you call us to follow you into those, that same journey. Father, I pray that each one of us would would love above all, that we would serve wherever we are, that we would be intentional, that we would not let today pass without taking concrete steps to be used by you to make a difference in and through this church and in the community and in our world beyond. Use us, Father, for your glory. May your spirit so inhabit us, so dwell within us, that it becomes the very desire of our hearts. But even if it isn't, enable us to choose, above all, to love. We pray this, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.